OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. Uh, I'm your host, Jeffrey Povin, and let's welcome our investor today, which is Matthew Wilson. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, we're very excited to have you today. So uh, I think we've been changing up the format a little bit. And um, after kind of going through so much material on yourself, which I think is great, uh, I wanted to start off with a couple of kind of quick, hard-hitting, personal questions before we dive into the meat and potatoes. Sure. Let's, All right. Book or movie? Book. Superman or Batman? Superman. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? Pizza pop. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Oprah. Ah, I like Oprah too. I think she'd be way better. Uh, Yankees or Blue Jays? Blue Jays. Bike or rollerblades? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Big Mac. Trophy or money? Money. Done. All right. That was some really good rapid fire questions. That was the inaugural. First time. I'm going to have to keep coming up with better ones. How did you feel? How did it work out? No, that was good. Some good ones there. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I think Oprah too would be way more interesting. I mean, I think she's, she's overcome a lot more and, and basically come from nothing. Whereas I think Bezos had a little bit of a, a boost, you know, being a, a white male. So um, yeah, no, I think Oprah would be super, super interesting just to, to learn about the empire she's built. Agreed. Incredible. Incredible. Well, if you come up with any other questions that you think might fit, let me know. Cause I'll add them in, but I, I kind of like these rapid fire. I have more. We're going to do more later on. Could just okay. be a rapid fire session. We won't even need to talk about anything, just rapid fire stuff, but um, either way, glad to have you here today, Matt. So first let's start off by giving a little bit about your background, kind of where you came from, from the CPG world, all the way up to where you are today. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Yeah. So I, I kind of got my start in the CPG world, um, moved to Toronto, spent my twenties, uh, about 10 years in Toronto, started working various sales and marketing roles at Nestle and Coca-Cola. And then that ultimately led to my former business partner and I spinning out a CPG startup. So we grew and we scaled that for several years in the GTA. And then in 2012, we had an opportunity to sell and exit the business. So obviously that was a great decision at the time. And then also in about 2011, 2012, my now wife had received a great job opportunity out in Calgary. So we figured, hey, let's let's do it. Pack the car, put my skis on the roof, and away we went. And when I got to Calgary, I was essentially looking for a way to stay connected to the startup ecosystem. I'd always had a passion for finance and investing, and obviously a, a passion for entrepreneurship. So discovered angel investing, and you know, because there wasn't a lot of VC activity at the time in Calgary, it was you know mostly just oil and gas and cowboys. I decided to, to look outside of the market and sort of focus on more established VC centers like Silicon Valley, Vancouver, New York, Toronto, and just joined every angel syndicate I could, joined a couple of VC funds, basically started from scratch and writing small checks and learning by doing. 
Um, throughout the years, as I got more and more experience, I started offering to scout for a couple of different VCs and syndicate leads, uh, whether that was just meeting with founders, writing deal memos. And the one thing I noticed about um, GPs is they'll always answer your emails or phone calls if you're an LP of theirs. So it worked out great because I had access to these, these really smart investors. And then uh, about five years ago, I was talking to, to someone in my network and I said, hey, I'm looking to get more, more formally into the VC industry. Um, how, how can I do that? And he said, well, if you want to get a career in VC, you need two things. You need an exit and you need an MBA. So uh, because I'd already you know, had the experience with my CPG startup, I decided to go back to business school, got my MBA. And then it was actually the, the thesis project for my MBA where I built out the business model and the plan for what I'm running now, which is Allied Venture Partners. So uh, we launched that last year and what better time than the midst of a global pandemic. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been going fantastic. We just wrapped up our fifth deal of the year and we've put almost a million dollars to work so far. That's amazing. And, and they said that the two things you needed was an exit and an MBA. Geez, I'm going to have to backpedal and start working on uh, getting this MBA done and selling a company or something. This, uh, sounds that's like sound advice, though. That's what everyone kept telling me, yeah. So, and about going to business school had always been something that uh, was on, you know, on my mind. Uh, but then again, you know, in my 20s, my, my interpretation was, what do I need a fancy MBA for? I can learn a lot more by going out, building a company and investing in companies. And for the longest time, that was my mentality. But, you know, there was always something, I felt like there was, you know, some kind of knowledge or something missing, you know, and, uh, you know, I figured going back and getting my MBA would sort of fill in those knowledge gaps and just give me the extra confidence and credibility I needed if I really wanted to, you know, take that leap forward into VC. No, very smart. Totally agree with that. And if we go back to your CPG days, and I'm a huge CPG fan, just because we also invest, I've invested in multiple companies, but I just like the space. I think that it's uh, not only is it underserviced, it's misunderstood. Uh, I think there's a lot of startups that have gone through the CPG space today. There's so many that are being built around uh, coming out. So when you go to the grocery store, it's not the same 10 staple products. They've opened up so many more avenues. Grocery stores are bigger. There's more content. Obviously there's online. So when you guys first started in this space back in even 2000, between 2005, 2012, when you uh, ended up exiting out, how much of that world changed? And were you kind of learning as it was changing and did you already start planning on the fact that you wanted to start investing? What kind of got you into the investment world, but how much of it was based on what was changing in the environment you were in? Yeah. Well, with regards to investing, I, I've always, uh, my, my grandmother actually introduced me to investing at age 15. So it was, uh, it was always something that I had a passion for. And then you know, when I started building that CPG company and really becoming a founder and an entrepreneur, uh, I, I started to realize, hey, listen, I can invest in other people like me and other entrepreneurs. So at the time in, in Toronto, so our CPG company, we were, a, we were a coffee wholesaler. So we, we didn't want to get into the retail game because at the time there, there was really only um, Starbucks, Tim Hortons and some second cups. Like it was really before the whole fair trade organic thing really took off. So instead of getting into the retail game, which was really cost intensive and, and hard to do, lots of competition, we just stayed with wholesale and we serviced um, like hotels, bars, restaurants, cafes, uh, bakeries across the GTA. And it was fantastic. And I remember looking, we, we looked at getting into retail one time and 
just to get one skew in a Loblaws on like the bottom shelf with maybe 10 stores across the GTA it was $250,000. And I was just like, this is absolutely nuts. Like it is so hard to get in and compete, you know, in, in the major retail grocery store space. So we just avoided that altogether. And obviously brick and mortar, like setting up a coffee shop, that's just got a whole, whole additional set of overhead. And, and, and so we just stuck to the wholesale model, but it seems like it's come a long way now because if you want to start a CPG company, there's a lot more avenues. Like you can go direct to consumer. You can set up a Shopify site, you know, e-commerce is, is much bigger and, and it's a lot easier to do it on, on the web now uh, with regards to, if you're doing like CPG with beverage, that can still be really challenging because it's very heavy and it costs a lot to ship. But I mean, if you're doing something else, like whether it's, I don't know, protein bars or, or something like that, and it's a lot easier to ship and it's a smaller package size. I mean, it's so much easier to start a CPG company nowadays and get in front of your customers without having to go through those traditional major retail routes. And those, uh, those major retail routes that you, you're speaking of, um, they are at the time, they were certainly pretty costly because it was self-protecting and ensuring that, uh, you know, the big brands stayed on shelf and they didn't have to spread their, their wings too much. But now that planograms and everything have shifted towards what's selling, they're now more adapting to the consumer. They want to get the consumer in the store. They realize that there's more than one player in town and that player is the internet. So they've started to open that up. So they've started to change that whole pricing model so that it is more competitive. Uh, mm -hmm. So kind of as that market has shifted and as all of it's shifted, investing, you name it, everything is starting to globally change. Do you feel that when you were stuck in that mode that that became a problem that you wanted to solve too, that you kind of said, how can this be? How can I change the way my business model is working? You sounds like you just avoided it in total because you're just not worth my money. So you went after the bigger, bigger fish, but how do you educate some of the CPG brands and other companies you talk to now? Are you telling them to go after this? Cause there still are fees. They just might not be as high as they used to be, uh, but they still are part of that model. Are you driving them into the space and saying you need to be everywhere or do you pick a vertical, really own it and then kind of expand your wings from there? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I would, I would tell companies, you know, it's more important to build sort of that diehard customer base and you can do that pretty much online through email, social media, and then direct to consumers. So what I like to see in some of the best performing CPG companies, in my opinion, are the ones who really started, started with that diehard fan base, they're shipping direct to customers. And then it's almost like the major retail stores come knocking on their door and like are begging them to get their product in the store because they want to put up an end cap or a wing in a, in a Loblaws or whatever it is. So that's what I really like to see. I mean, if you can start sort of niche and really focus in on your, your hardcore customer base, and then, you know, if you keep growing and you're successful, then the major retail players are going to come knocking in and whether that's, you know, getting you in their store or might even be acquiring them. Like, uh, you know, there's lots of opportunity there. So, you know, once you have that, that fan base that really wants your product, then, then the power shifts to you and you have the leverage as the entrepreneur, but, you know, starting out and just trying to be everywhere at once and, and including major retail, I think that's just, it, it's just not an economical and a, and a realistic plan. It's just going to be too expensive. You're going to be too diluted across too many stores and locations. And without the fan base already knowing about you from email or social media or whatever that is, they're going to come into the store. They're probably not going to pick up your product because they're not, they're not familiar with it. They don't know it. They're probably going to stick with the, the tried tested and true product that they've been buying for years. Right. So it's better to build that relationship online if you can, in my opinion. So does that, no, that's a, that's a great opinion. And I, and I think 
a lot of companies are trying to go into that process and say, you know what, if I'm going to try, this is where I'm going to try it first. But they still do have companies that are going direct to the to the shops and trying to buy in there. Is there in, in this, I guess, online uh, persona? Um, and what I like about what you said is it kind of all boils down to brand. So mm-hmm. is brand kind of really important to you as an investor? And how much emphasis should a startup put on that brand? Because you can't just build people into something if you don't have a great brand that they can resonate with. So does it really come back to that brand side and then kind of product follows after? I think it does. I mean, brand and product sort of sort of have to, you have to be building them both at the same time. And obviously you got to have a great product in order to sustain the brand. But uh, one of the, like one of the, the best things that I ever learned from my, my sales and marketing days was to start building that brand and getting those, you know, creative assets and the awareness out into the marketplace as early as possible. And I tell startups that we work with all the time. I mean, people want to be able to Google you or look you up on social media and, you know, see podcasts or articles or blogs that you've done or videos and, and content that you put out there. And that really gives them social proof and, and credibility and confidence that, you know, this is a legitimate brand. It's a legitimate company. They're building a quality product. They're not going to, you know, take my money or screw me over. And then from an investor's perspective, they're going to do the same thing, right? As part of their diligence process, they're going to want to listen to to podcasts or, or read blog posts that you've done. So start getting that content and building that brand out into the ecosystem as early as possible. I mean, even if you don't, you know, you're still in beta or you haven't even launched your product yet, just try and get something out there and start building that portfolio of, of assets because it's really going to pay dividends over time, right? Like you do one really great blog post, for example, and that can stay relevant for years. I mean, there, there's people that have built entire businesses on that. So, so yeah, absolutely. Start building the brand from day one. I love it. And just to kind of reiterate that, that getting something out there right at the beginning, it, at least puts a, a mark in the sand and shows people that you're serious it starts driving it. It also gives you some energy to get behind that drive or that position of what that brand stands for. And you'll kind of iterate over time, but you got to have something out there to start making a mark. Absolutely. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. Well, it's interesting to say that there's i I'm a big fan of the whole branding side and I learned it from the CPG side. I learned it from being my days in Loblaws, even though I was a software engineer, that's how I, really got behind and learned a lot more about how brands took care of themselves, how they got people to buy into them. And it really did come down to that brand FaceTime and, and how you can get more people buying into that. And that is, you kind of mentioned it, getting in podcasts, doing all the different little things that are going to change it up, especially if it's in Toronto or you're in Calgary or you're anywhere in the world, it's honing in on that initial market and kind of trying to expand from there. It's probably more effective to start in one localized spot and then kind of grow from there. Do you yeah. find that there's uh, from an online perspective and building out a brand doesn't matter if it's CPG or not, is there any tactics that you would recommend or things that you look for that really can help someone bolster that brand or bolster their business when they're starting off early? Yeah. I mean, especially in the startup space, they probably don't have a lot of money to do a big marketing campaign or a big push up front. So I think it comes down to getting a little bit more creative, like trying to find out where online, you know, your key customers, your ideal customers spend their time. And I don't know whether that's, you know, Reddit or Facebook groups or whatever it is, and then really honing in and targeting on those people. Then I think once you've got, you know, your first 50 to a hundred solid customers that, you know, repeat purchase from you and they really like your product, then you can just kind of grow from there. It starts to snowball. Right. But 
another big thing that I tell founders all the time is, is from day one, like start collecting as much feedback as you can, like any chance you get to get feedback from people, whether it's, you know, one or two questions about the product, how they're using it, you know, you can't get enough feedback in the early days and you can really build on that and ideally solve customer issues before they even raise it as an issue, right? Like be one step ahead of them and fixing bugs or, or tweaking things. And then they're just happy and delighted that you took the initiative to, to find out how they're using it, what potential problems they might be running into and then solving them before they even have to, you know, call you or, or email you or, or potentially in the worst case scenario, give up your product for a competitor. So yeah, just uh, like talk to your customers as much as you can, as early as you can and just get that feedback. I love that service them as much as you possibly can because earlier on you've got the time so build a rapport get them excited about what you're doing and win them over and then once you win them over keep servicing the hell out of them so that they keep being your fan because they're going to tell other people and that kind of spreads oh for sure and i mean it's so much cheaper to to just delight an existing customer than go out and acquire a new one right i mean a lot of people I think a lot of startups, they sort of focus on growth, growth, growth in the early stage. And, and that's true to some degree, but you also want to make sure that, you know, your bucket's not leaking and, you, and you're churning customers out because it's a lot easier and less, less costly and less time consuming to just make those existing customers happy and keep them on board than, than trying to find new customers, right? No, I agree with that. That's, that's fantastic. So you mentioned that your grandmother got you into investing. What got you investing into early stage. And now that you've kind of moved out of CPG, uh, what does that focus look like? Uh, what kind of companies do you work, work with, invest in? And what got you first started in angel investing? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I had sort of been reading about angel investing for a number of years before I started. And I mean, quite honestly, I just like the idea of learning about new technologies and connecting with other like-minded entrepreneurial type people. And then I think it's uh, like there's there's probably no greater feeling than investing in a company early on and then seeing them succeed and continuing to grow and, you know, hiring people, providing jobs like it's just so much value creation as opposed to, you know, like a lot of investing, you know, looking at, you know, hedge funds and stuff like that. They're just kind of financial engineering and, and trading and not really creating value in the world. So that's the one thing I really like about angel investing is just meeting with new people who are trying to bring new items and create new value into the world. Um, in terms of an investment sort of criteria, what we look for, uh, we invest more at the early stage, seed to series A, uh, look for companies that are post-product, post-revenue. I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot of revenue. It can be, you know, $5,000 a month, but, you know, some type of early indication, you got some early customers, you're starting to, to monetize things. Um, I, I know you mentioned it, but um, even though my background is in CPG, we focus predominantly on software. So um, I don't, even though I come from CPG, I don't invest in CPG anymore, but um, yeah. And then our typical check size can range anywhere from 100 to 250,000. So that's, that's sort of the, the overall thesis for, for us. Awesome. So it kind of steps on that whole branding side where they're going to market, they're servicing their customer and they're going for validation. And you guys are looking for that validation to occur. So some sort of form of revenue, post revenue, they're building the company. You can see that there's an opportunity. They may have already taken some investment dollars already up until this stage. And then you guys will jump in and start working with them. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur myself, I think that's the most exciting stage because 
you know, you're starting to see, you're getting excited. You're starting to see those initial customers coming in. People are starting to pay for the, for whatever you've built. And that's the most exciting thing. I remember getting our, our first sale with uh, the coffee company. And I, I was just such a, you know, exhilarating experience. I'll never forget that. So I think that's the most exciting place to be working with these companies that are coming out of the gate and, and they're starting to generate revenue and you can help them, you know, with product feedback, or, you know, whether it's introductions to customers, because they most likely don't have the entire team built out. It, it, in some instances, it's just two founders, right? So there's a lot more opportunity to sort of get your hands dirty and work with the company at an early stage and, and really watch them grow. And that's, that's what's really exciting for me. And how much do you take that while you're working with these companies and you're making these investments in that seed in, in Series A positioning, how much do you go back and look at uh, your earlier on uh, work experience, how much that kind of leveraged where you are today, how you analyze a company, how you help companies. Do you think a lot of your background supported that? Like you just mentioned that you did bounce from CPG into software, but I'm assuming you touched software throughout your entire career up until this point. So how much of that kind of um, work together to get you where you are today? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it, I mean, for sales, especially because I spent a number of years in sales, I mean, whether you're selling, you know, software, CPG, whatever, I mean, sales is sales. And if you can, if you can convey and successfully communicate your value proposition and convince people to buy your product, I think that's universal across any vertical. So that's always, that's always helped me in terms of marketing. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, standard marketing rules and branding rules as well that apply to a lot of different verticals. So you know, for us, you know, we'll usually, you know, invest in a company where there's maybe two or three people. And oftentimes neither one of them have a sales or marketing background. So even though I'm not going to step in and become a sales rep or, or marketing person for the company, I can at least help guide them. Like, okay, you're going to need someone who's got a background in this. And, and this is the type of, you know, high level overview stuff that you're going to want to do. And uh, it's interesting. There was one company that we invested in earlier this year and they wanted to announce their round but they had never written a press release, right? They had no idea how to do it. So I essentially just walked them through the progress, uh, sorry, through the process, because I had done them before. I said, this is how you structure it and help them write it. And, and away it went and it went out. So now they have that tool and that template that they can use going forward, right? But you know, it, just to be able to sort of leverage that experience and help them out where they don't have the expertise. I mean, that's what I like doing. I like, uh, I like getting in at an operational level and helping out where I can. No, that's awesome. And is that part of the, the mandate on your investment side that you guys will invest and then spend a certain amount of time working with the founders throughout that journey? Or how do you guys look at your interaction with the businesses you invest in? Um, yeah, we definitely want to stay involved. We're, we're definitely not passive investors. I mean, you know, we're not going to step in and try and run the company. That's obviously up to the founders. But, um, you know, I tell them all the time, like we're running as an angel syndicate with almost 600 members, we have a very diverse group of individuals. And if I can't personally help with something, you know, please leverage our network and let me know. And I'll send a message out to the group. And, and nine times out of 10, someone will be able to step up and help. And if that's just jumping on a 30 minute zoom call, uh, you know, whether it's in HR recruiting, you know, uh, IT coding, whatever you name it, they're going to jump in and help, right? Because they have a vested interest in that company's success. So uh, yeah, like I tell founders all the time, leverage our network. It's such a powerful and diverse group of individuals, you know, from from senior executives at billion dollar companies to angels to VCs, people who have built software and technology companies. So, uh, yeah, leverage that network. And 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 we want to get involved where we can. Obviously, we don't want to take over, 
But, um, you know, that's what we're here for. It's, it's early days. So all hands on deck and we got to get this company to the, to the next level and the next milestone. So we're happy to chip in and help. No, I love that. I think it kind of goes back to your earlier part where you mentioned on the, the branding side and getting out there and pushing things to, to the market. It, very similar concept. It's building a network. You've got a network. You're telling companies to build a network and get out there and promote it and push it so that people will get behind you, not just your customers, but now you've got a dual-sided marketplace. You've got customers and investors and leverage both of those, those units to help your business grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And us too. I mean, we'll, we'll leverage our network to introduce the company to potential new customers, uh, potential new investors for future rounds. So pretty much anything that a company, any pain point that a company is going to go through, we can probably help in some regard. So yeah, I know it's, it's great to be able to have that, that network on the back end just to help. Like we have, it's, I, I look at it as having a sort of a VC fund with, you know, hundreds of people in my back office from all sorts of different disciplines and specialties. So. No, that's awesome. And only because we're, we're talking about, as you mentioned a little bit about the uh, extra hands that will jump in and invest in other rounds. What's your position around a company that wants to bring investors in from that, the social platform perspective, getting into spaces like um, front founder and all of the other social platforms where they can get their customers to invest in them. Uh, do you believe that that's a great form of, of raising funds or how do you see that in this world of changing, uh, economics of scale for, uh, startups? Yeah, no, I think it's great. Uh, the whole equity crowdfunding thing we're seeing right now and, and the recent sort of relaxation of the accreditation rules in the U.S. and, and companies can now raise more money on, on crowdfunding. I think it's fantastic, particularly for consumer facing companies. I mean, what better you know marketing campaign than getting your customers invested in the company, right? That have a vested interest in your success. They're obviously going to tell all their friends, oh, I'm part owner in this company. They're only going to use your products. They're going to be super, super loyal. So I think it's great. I I tell companies all the time, if they're a consumer company, go out and and try and raise part of your round through an equity crowdfunding if you can, because, you know, customers love that. They want to be part of the journey. They want to feel connected to the company. They don't just want to, you know, you know, be another number and, uh, you know, a customer service claim number. So, you know, make them part of the journey and make them part of the process. And I think that's only going to help the brand and, and grow the company that much quicker. I'm, uh, I'm kind of thinking that it, there's this like, it's almost like marketing one-on-one. You've got brand, communicate, community, mm-hmm. social equity. You really follow these kind of steps. You're going to have a, a really strong ability to uh, drive investors and drive sales. Is that fair to say? Oh, for sure. Yeah. There was, um, in Calgary, there was a a local brewery, for example, that recently reached out to me and just wanted to to pick my brain on, on some fundraising tactics. And I introduced them to the front funder platform. And I think it's great because front funders done a lot of work with distilleries, breweries, uh, even vineyards. So, I mean, what better way to build that brand loyalty than to go out and then offer your customers, hey, have you, have you ever wanted to own a piece of a brewery? Well, now's your chance. And some of the, the crowdfunding campaigns on there have, have been wildly oversubscribed and people absolutely love them. And then I guarantee you every weekend when they're thinking about going to a brewery, where are they going to go and where are they going to buy their beer from? I mean, you're basically making customers loyalty for and then from an investor's perspective, I mean, if the company has raised their first round on an equity crowdfunding campaign, for example, I think that's a great signal because 
It shows that you have a, a diehard customer base, a great product. We have repeat customers, customer loyalty, and, and who would not want to invest in a company like that, right? So I think it's a, it's a great signal for investors and it's, you know, it's a great way to activate that customer base. And I like the fact that you called it a great signal because I think that's exactly what this is, is that it's a way to get other people interested in your brand, people that are using it. That creates a great signal for investors to say, hey, you know what? Just like a um, company over here that sold $2 million worth of products on a social platform. Now they're going to roll out their product in the next two years. That also looks good for them to go and raise funds the same way. Uh, so I don't think it actually is a bad thing. I think it's really certainly a smart way of getting investors uh, interested. Uh, does it take out the risk? Not so much because you have no idea how that product business or whatnot have managed themselves. But I think that that's where that angel group or VC group have to go in and do their due diligence to confirm that this is a company that they want to be part of, uh, regardless of all of the great things that they've done over here. There's still the back end, which is what these guys have to get in through and, and start working through. But I think all dollars coming into a business are certainly going to help that, that company not only survive, but find a good foothold in the market. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And, and like, for our, from our perspective, one of the things that we look at as part of our diligence process is that early customer base and what are their reviews? What are they saying? How do they like the product? So, I mean, if you have, you know, 150 people, part of a crowdfunding campaign that absolutely love the product. And that's the reason why they've decided not only to, to buy the product and be repeat customers, but they're essentially voting with their dollars and investing their hard, hard earned money into your company. I think that's a great, great vote of confidence and, and a strong signal. I like that. Voting with their dollars. We need more of that. Certainly need more yeah. of that. Yeah, I think, I mean, the U.S., obviously, they've, they've had some, some good changes to their accreditation rules, but I think Canada is going to follow suit and it's getting better. I mean, Front Funder's done a great job and I think it's still early days, but I mean, if we can get more people investing in, in the companies and the brands they love, the better. I mean, I don't see why someone can go and, you know, spend thousands of dollars at a casino, but they can't invest in their favorite CPG company or a brand that they use every day just because they're a private companies. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, the regulators are, are taking notice and I think we're going to see some positive changes in the coming years. I like we just said about investing in companies that you use. Uh, when I was younger, I, when I started investing in my, I what, I guess 95 when it all turned on, one person said to me, you should always invest in companies that you use and support. So I think my first investment was in Apple for uh, $20. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was a big fan of that. So, uh, but it, I do agree with that. And I stick to that today is that if you are, even as an early stage investor, if you're going to use a product uh, and you want to invest in that, that should be a company you want to invest in. It's not so much always about, uh, is this going to win? Is this going to fail? Yes, you got to evaluate all of those things, but it really comes down to if you're a consumer and you're going to use that product and that product's going to bring value to you, then that's first checkbox off, right? That's a signal. That's a good thing. And you might want to kind of keep diving into that a little bit further. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. So just before we shift, we got one more last question that I want to ask before we kind of jump in uh, and kind of transition. The, the question is, can you give us maybe four or five points that you look for as a, as a firm when you guys have made these last five investments? Is there a couple of things that really stand out that you look for that really make a difference when you guys make an investment? 
what you're looking for is say in a founder or a founder team or a business that kind of puts you over the edge and say, you know what, take my money. Yeah. For us, cause we're investing at, at an earlier stage, uh, it really comes down or it starts with the people in my opinion, because, you know, there's usually such little data to go on. The company might have, you know, a few months, a few weeks in some instances of data. Uh, I mean, if you're lucky a year, maybe, maybe a bit more, but it, it really comes down to the people and, and sort of the story about why they're solving this problem. And, and ideally it should come from, you know, some level of domain expertise. Like they, they've been working in this field for a while. They saw this problem, they had this passion or this itch to solve it. And now they're finally going out and doing it. Um, we're looking for people, you know, that are grinders and they're not afraid to bootstrap. I think one of the, one of the biggest negative signals that I sometimes see is founders that don't want to start the company until they close their first fundraising round. And, like for me, I want to see someone who's going to, you know, work to make this thing exist with or without my money. Right. It's like, you're either with us on this journey or you're not, but we're making this happen. So uh, another thing is, you know, it, what have they done previously? And they don't necessarily have to be a previous founder with a multi-million dollar exit, but you know, do they have some type of proven execution you can look back on and whether that's in academics or sports or, or basically what kind of person are they, you know, what have they done previously in their lives? Have they been very successful at whatever they've decided to put their mind to? I think that's critically important and, and a good indication of future success. Uh, from there, we'll kind of look more at the the product and the market size. So is it a large enough market size? Um, you know, what, what kind of product is it? Do they have some kind of defensibility or unfair advantage? Does it solve a, a major pain point for people? And uh, from there, then, yeah, we'll look at sort of the customer base what people are saying about the, the early version of the product, um, you know, how much they'd hate it if, if the product disappeared or the service was gone and they could no longer lose it. I think that's a big, big uh, signal as well. But yeah, it definitely starts with the people. Uh, that's, that's really what you're investing in up front. I'm going to just emphasize a couple parts there, which is the grinders, because you mentioned it, but then it kind of carried into the next one, which was your execution. So those kind of really tie together, which is people that just get things done and make things happen. So uh, I wholeheartedly agree that those carry so much impact uh, because at the end of the day, you need accountability. You need people that work hard to get something done. So I think those really sum up the whole drive behind the team. And without those two things, you, you're kind of just maybe a product that doesn't really support much. So it's it's probably good if you can figure out how to get in with the grinders and, and the people that execute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ideas out there. I mean, there's a lot of idea people, but there's not a lot of people that can actually execute on those ideas and um, you know, people that are resourceful and they'll figure a way to get it done with, with little to no money. Right. And, and that's sort of what we're looking for. There was a company that we recently invested in where it's just, just two guys, a team of two guys, and they're already generating over a hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue. They built this incredible software product. So I mean, and this is just two, two guys, like, you know, they're doing everything and, uh, you know, they're not, they're not taking a salary or they're paying themselves incredibly little and they're basically living on ramen noodles, but they're determined to get this done. Right. Versus other companies that we've looked at where, you know, the founder wants to close the round before they start. And then they want to pay themselves a six figure salary out the gate and, and all this. And I mean, that's not what, what we did with our CBG company. I mean, we were, we were still working evenings and weekend jobs to, to support our, our life and pay our rent. So uh, we're looking for those grinders. Absolutely. 
I love it. And those are, uh, those are great stories. And that kind of is a nice transition to uh, the next question I have for you. And, and um, this is going to look more into what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So just looking for a heartfelt story that you can take from all the years that you've been in this environment and just look back and think, was there any story that really popped in your mind that uh, just blew you away that she or he went through all of these things to get to where they were and, and you couldn't believe they were able to pull it off. Uh, and it just makes for a great story. We like great stories here. So any story that comes to mind that you can really uh, think about and share? Yeah, I, uh, I was never an investor in the company myself, but I just, I love, I was reading um, a couple of years ago, the story about uh, Drew and Arash, who were the founders of Dropbox. And I thought it was a fantastic story because at the time when they were building out Dropbox, everyone was telling them, ah, oh, this is, this is a waste of time. You're going to get destroyed by Google drive and Microsoft and all these other storage options, but they, they had a vision and they just focused on doing one thing incredibly well and making a great customer experience and really listening to their, to their customers and, and, and building in those, those tweaks and those improvements that the customers wanted. And look, they built a fantastic company, a multi-billion dollar company. And, it all really came down to their focus, right? They, they didn't try to be everything to everyone. They had that initial target customer and, and they just really wanted to solve that problem and do it incredibly well for those, those initial people. Right. So I think, I think that's the key. So they basically went up against Google and won. And that that's a fantastic story. In my opinion, you know, two, two underdogs who are building, building a product competing with the big Microsoft's and Google's of the world. And, and they managed to do it. They built a multi-billion dollar company. So I, uh, I always sort of look at that story when, you know, I'm feeling, feeling maybe a little discouraged or deflated or it's not a great day. I'm like, Hey, if those guys can, can maintain focus and, and beat out Google and Microsoft, then, you know, I can do whatever I'm trying to do. So. I love that one problem, one solution, and they hustled and they made it happen. Exactly. Yeah. It's a great story. And, and they've done amazing things throughout that time and continue to. So big fan as well. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to go back into some more rapid fire questions. Sounds All good. Right. These ones are business related. Founder or co-founder? Like for myself, you mean? For investing, investing, would you do you want a founder or two co-founders? What would you I prefer? Do, I would prefer co-founders. Okay, unicorn or a four-year 10x exit? Unicorn. Tech or CPG? Tech. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or a second or third time founder? Second or third time. First money in or series A? Series A. Angel or a VC? Angel. Board seat or observer? Observer. Safe or convertible note? Convertible note. Lead or follow on? Follow on. All right. Those are the rapid fire ones. These ones can go a little bit more if you like. I actually like this method better. This is good. Uh, What's your favorite part of investing? Meeting with smart people who are trying to change the world. I love it. Uh, You mentioned this, but... Again, verticals you like to focus on? Uh, consumer or enterprise SaaS. Any due diligence requirements that you look for that are a must before you sign the check? 
Um, yeah, we'll, we'll go through, you know, financial statements. We'll sort of look at, um, IP assignments. If it's all assigned to the company, go through the hiring plan, you know, how much runway are they going to get from this current round, uh, customer reviews and feedback, product roadmap, sales pipeline, uh, fairly, fairly a lot of, a lot of standard stuff, I would say. Okay. Uh, preferred terms. So do you care if it's a safe convertible note, uh, any of those, or you'll invest in all? Uh, we'll invest in all. My preference would be a convertible note over a safe, just because you have the defined conversion date and the pro rata built in, whereas a safe, you'd need those on a side letter. Um, yeah, so convertible note, ideally at the early stage. Okay. Do you do follow-on investments? Yes, pro rata is something that we look for in each of our investments. Okay. Perfect. Oh, no, that was good. And it's, it's interesting too, because some, some of those questions I have to think with my investor cap, whereas my, you know, personal individual angel cap might, might have a slightly different answer, but, um, yeah, from a, like a, like a syndicate lead perspective, it's, uh, those were good. I like those. Oh, there'll be more. I'm uh, now blasting these out more. I've been thinking about it and, uh, I like the, uh, rapid fire because it makes you think and then you can bucket everything pretty quickly right absolutely yeah all right now we're going to go to the final personal questions cool all right favorite sports team go habs go i did pick them to play the islanders in the stanley cup so okay. they're both tied two and two so i'm uh, i'm itching to see but I, I would have to say that I, I have a feeling that the Islanders are going to win it all if they, if it goes to the two of them going in the finals. They are looking pretty good this year. Yep. They've been my favorite team since I was a kid, so I have to stick by them. But I also just like Carey Price. He's a rock star, and he is due for a cup. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a tough one. I'm like, ah, but Carey Price. And then I'm like, no, you're an Islander fan. Leave it alone. Walk away. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've been a Habs fan since I was a kid, so I, I got to go with the hometown team. That's true. That's true. Well, they are Canadians, so that's the other tough one. So, but I like it. That's great. All right. Favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, if we're talking classics, I, I'd probably say Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or maybe Goodfellas. I, I love those. Uh, if we're talking something more modern, I'd, I'd probably go with maybe Dark Knight or Sicario. I really like those movies. So, okay. And which character would you play in, in either of those four movies? Uh, I don't know. I could be Indiana Jones. I like traveling and adventure. So let's go with Indy. I, I just watched that whole series literally like three months ago. I watched the entire series of it. And I actually think I missed one of them which was the last one. I never saw it. So it was actually kind of cool to watch it. And they have so many innuendos in those movies that I can't believe that as a kid, I was allowed to watch them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You wouldn't even pick up, but your parents are probably sitting there just laughing inside. Yeah. Right. That yeah. shaking their head. Like, wow, I can't believe that happened. But yeah, it was pretty good. They were pretty good. Yeah. And uh, what was the other one? The other one, um, uh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's just a classic. Uh, I yeah. love Goodfellas. Yeah. And which character would you play in that? Oh, whew, that's a good one. Um, I'd say yeah, I'd probably go with De Niro. De Niro? Yeah, they're all good. Because characters. everyone else gets whacked. <laughs> that's true. He's the only one standing. That's a good point. Exactly. Yeah. I haven't seen that one in a while, but 
Either way, I, I may have to look that up. I've got, uh, after all the interviews, I have a very good selection of movies that I have to watch. Uh, I started Lord of the Rings series again, and it just happened to be on the last week. Um, one of the uh, investors said that uh, it was his favorite movie, and I was like, oh, I'm watching that one tonight. So it worked out very well. I'm still three, two more movies behind, but regardless, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, getting all of this great insights on uh, the best movies out there. So, yeah, yeah, those those Lord of the Ring movies, those are good. They're long though. They are. You need at least three and a half hours to watch a movie. Oh yeah, at, at least yeah. So, but either way, Matthew, fantastic. I appreciate it so much that we we're able to chat today, as I always do. Got to show my notes. I'm a note taker. I can't help it, but a lot of valuable things there that you shared. Uh, and we're, we're going to talk about those after. But what we like to do is uh, the best way we like to end the show is we like to give you the last word. And you can share anything you like to the investor community or to the startups. But again, thank you for all your time, all the valuable insights. And uh, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks again. I, I guess I would say, uh, just, just to everyone as a whole overall, um, I know, you know, the last year with COVID has been really challenging and, and tensions are, are high as we sort of come out of this COVID bubble. And maybe some of us have forgotten how to socialize with other people, but I would say just, just take it slow and be kind to other people and, you know, just realize that we're all kind of making things up as we go here and, and figuring it out and, and trying to, to figure out our way forward. So be, uh, be kind to others and uh, don't take yourself too seriously. I love it. Thank you very much for that. All the way from the Australia. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, JP. Okay, that was great. That was Matt hanging out in the down under. He's in uh, Australia and, and uh, fantastic insights again. Uh, really enjoyed kind of that brand community, communicate, social side, drive some sales. All of this has to do with getting your company into a position where it's investable and it's de-risking it as much as you can for investors. And uh, I love the, the whole validation side, letting people vote with their dollars by getting them to join in on uh, social equity sites. Um, what they're looking for is domain expertise, grinders, people that execute, all brilliant. And those are the things that founders got to really pay attention to when they're going out into the investment world is how do I get and attract investors? Well, a lot of this stuff is how you attract them. So hopefully everybody uh, sees that, gets excited and uh, can kind of line themselves up to all the great things they need to do to attract um, customers and investors. So thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or in Stitcher. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a great week.